Welcome to Season 2, Episode 18 of Game Dev with a Shot of Jameson. My name is Jameson Durrell, and I'm a game designer with over 20 years of experience, and I like to help people learn more about video game development. Today we're joined by Dallas Lilly, an incubation engineer at Probably Monsters. We discuss his game dev education, how getting those first interviews coming out of college were stressful, and how that first job opens up the rest of the industry for you. Don't forget you can join the conversation live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. over at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. There's a link in the show notes if you want to come get your questions answered live next time. But for now, let's get this episode started. Well, what do you say? Should we get started? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm really curious. We, we have not had this conversation before about your career, so I have a lot of questions for you. I'm excited to, uh, to hear more about your journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get into it. All right. So let's start beginning. The day you were born. No, I'm just kidding. Let's start. Hey, we could. <laughs> no, so so as you're growing up, where where did you grow up and what did you think you were gonna be when you got older? Yeah, so I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, hmm. which is just a little south of Denver. It's a pretty big, very popular city in Colorado. And for most of my childhood, I thought I was going to be an actor. Okay. Um, in fifth grade, I did the school play, and I got the main part, and it was awesome, and I had a great time doing it. So then in middle school, I did more plays and also got main parts in that. And then in high school, I, I went to a weird high school um, where I got to go into college early uh it's called car springs early colleges and they basically have you take a test when you start freshman year and then depending on where you uh place they have you decide when you can start taking college classes and i placed high enough in that test that i basically started taking college classes immediately what? and i went to <laughs> yeah yeah uh i think I think the only thing that they made me take in high school was Algebra 2 because Colorado has like this weird um, rule where you have to take a high school Algebra 2 class, uh, even though I had taken it in middle school. So you like have to take a high school Algebra 2 class for some reason. Um, but I got to go to college real early. And so I went to the local college and took college classes. And I actually graduated high school with my associate's degree in theater. So wow. I thought that's what I was going to do. <laughs> yeah, I can see why you would think that. <laughs> yep. Yep. It was it was the plan for a really long time. So this is fascinating to me that like when when I was growing up, there was a lot of seniors or some seniors that took college courses couple of juniors but i've never heard of of a sophomore much less a freshman jumping right in like did you feel like a child among giants there like yeah it was i mean it was weird because it's also it was a community college that i went to and a lot of people at community colleges tend to be types of people that are going back to school okay. um, so you get a lot of people that are like in their 30s, maybe their 40s that are taking these classes. And here I was, you know, 15, 14 years old. Uh, and it was it was kind of weird. But after maybe like the first semester or two, just kind of got used to it. Wow, that's that's wild. Yeah. And Sullivanos in the chat says you graduated high school and college at the same time. I, yep. I got an associate's degree in 2001. So literally like 
you finished everything that I went out to do at your, you know, at high school. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately that didn't, <laughs> I got the degree and I didn't have to pay for it, which was cool too. Like it was just all, all through the school. Wow. Um, I didn't have to pay for any of the classes. So I got a free degree that it isn't really being used. <laughs> unfortunately. You know, I, you know, that that's okay, right? Because e here's one thing I always tell people. College is about learning to learn, in my opinion, right? Like you, you're learning how to continue to learn things, especially in game development. You know, you're learning something all the time, right? Is it a new, a yeah. new engine? Is it a new tool? Is it a new process? Like, what is it? Or something you did before that you don't remember? You got to look up and figure it out again. Man, it's a, uh, <laughs> that's crazy. That is crazy. All right. So talk to me about you're finishing up. You've got, you've got your high school diploma and your theater associates. What was your immediate plan? Were you going to go somewhere like to continue on that path at first? Yeah. So I think sometime in sometime in freshman year, I was kind of like thinking about what my path would look like to be an actor. And the kind of big thing I knew was that uh, Juilliard was a school that does a lot of acting. Yeah. Um, I guess since then I've learned that it's kind of more towards music stuff. Uh, I was not aware of that originally, but that was my plan was that I was going to go to Juilliard and at some point move to Los Angeles and then become a film actor, uh, which was also a weird thing because Juilliard's the film there, the theater stuff there is actual like traditional theater, you right. know, not even film stuff. Uh, so I didn't really know the exact like way you were supposed to do things. I was just kind of taking it as I go. So that man, that's uh, every I, I feel like everyone thinks that Juilliard is like the place to go for for like acting or at least for, you know, traditional acting. So right. that that's a big that's a big goal. Right. So. What kind of, what was that process like for you? Did you, did you kind of try to move toward that and then it didn't work out or like kind of, how did it, how did you end up thinking about games? Yeah. So I've, I realized that the way that most people approach college in America is different than kind of how I did. My parents didn't really like help me learn that I was supposed to, you know, take like the ACTs and SATs and then think about my list of colleges I could go to and apply to all of them and uh, then maybe get in and go to college and do all that kind of stuff. It was just kind of like, Dallas knows he wants to be an actor. He kind of wants to go to Juilliard. He'll figure it out. Uh, and unfortunately, I really didn't figure it out until maybe <laughs> maybe close to senior year um which is pretty much it's too late at that point um to do a lot of things like if i wanted to go to an ivy league school which i might have been able to try at least because i did really well in high school um but i didn't know like what you were supposed to do to kind of prepare yourself for that so senior year i'm like well i've been kind of thinking about being an actor but I don't really want to go to Juilliard anymore. And like, if I envision myself doing what it means to try and be an actor, you know, the typical you're in Los Angeles, you're trying, you're, you're working at restaurants, waiting tables and trying to be a starving actor, right? Like that didn't appeal to me as much anymore. Okay. So please continue. What were you gonna say? Oh no, you're good. I, I'm with you. I'm just, uh... yeah. So I was like, 
I don't want to do acting, but I don't really know what I want to do. Um, and this was kind of early senior. And then I just was like, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm doing sports. I'm playing football. It's my senior year of football. It's my senior year of track. I'm trying to go to state for track because I'm a I'm a pretty decent um, discus thrower. And I'm going to try and do that. So I'm not going to worry about college. We'll just figure it out after I finish high school. And then I'll just maybe apply to a few things and get in. Maybe spring during track season, uh, I was going through my magazine, my monthly magazine of Game Informer, and I was just kind of flipping through the pages when I saw an ad for a school where you could go to make video games. Man, and it was that moment that it clicked. <laughs> I what's so hilarious to me is how many people say they saw Full Sail in an actual magazine. Like, right. it, it's it's mind-blowing to me, because, I mean, I assume at the time, like, that was that was the way to do it, and it probably still is a little bit, but, man, they they have to have, they have to be super happy about those magazine campaigns at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'd definitely be interested in seeing, like, how many people, because I, I remember when I signed up, like, I told them, like, how I learned to full sale and everything. And I wonder how many of that, how many of them are like, oh, yeah, we've got, you know, 15% of our students learn about it through magazine ads. I, I'm going to find out, actually. I, I, that is, I'm making a note of that because I, I want to know this information. <laughs> right. And that might have that might have changed in the past. Well, it's been seven years since right. that happened. So who knows how, how things are nowadays. True. But it was like one of the most common things I've heard from like the eighties all the way to, all the way to, you know, very recently. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you see the ad and you're in Colorado. What, what was your next step? Did you call the school? Did you arrange to go visit? Like what was your kind of, your, your next step to kind of view the school or figure it out. Yeah. The next step was basically to call them. Um, I, I may have searched something online or something like that, but we basically, I called them, had a talk, um, about how does the school work? How does applications work? Um, what does that mean? Like, cause it, it's, it's full says a weird school. You, you start every month and like, how does that affect things and what's the earliest I can start and all that type of stuff. Um, and it went pretty okay. I mean, this was maybe I had called them after, um, finishing track senior year, which was the end of May. Um, so it was somewhere near the end of May that we called, we had a talk with them and they told us, you know, it starts every month and we knew that we couldn't start in June. You know, it was maybe like six days later would be the first of June when they were starting. Right. So we were thinking, okay, well, probably I'll have a summer vacation and then I'll start in September. Like most people do. Um, but when we talked to them, they actually said that there was a special uh, scholarship where if you started in the summer, you could actually get like $10,000 off of your tuition. Um, I don't remember exactly what the reason was, but that was a, a scholarship they were doing. So we were so my mom and I, we were talking to them and we were like, OK, well, maybe we'll start in September or maybe we'll start in July if this is what I want to do. 
so we I think we signed up for one of the uh, behind the scenes tours mm -hmm. and we were like, let's go down to Florida. Let's see if we can do some like scouting for um, apartments. Right. And see if we could get, you know, like a roommate and find a place for me to possibly get set up in September. And um, then I'd start then. But maybe we had let's see so we had a ticket to fly out on thursday before the behind the scenes tour over the weekend right and this was maybe early june at this point uh early mid-june i think is when it was happening and maybe wednesday morning uh my mom tells me that the tickets we have are going to be one way uh for oh. me She's going to go down there with me. Uh, we're going to find an apartment and I'm going to stay down there. Oh, wow. So I needed to pack <laughs> up my stuff within the next 24 hours for everything that I'm taking. Because uh, I'm going to start in July, too, because of the $10,000 scholarship. She, we, she's just like, this is what's going to happen. There's no way that we can get you in if we don't take that. Uh, so I packed up my stuff and we went down there and found a place within the weekend. Uh, and I got in with a roommate who was also at Full Sail at the time. And I started July 1st, 2nd or something like that. You said it was like, was that 2015? Uh, yes, 2015. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. The one one thing that that people have a hard time grasping is the monthly start dates, right? Like yeah. everyone knows there's two start dates a year at a university, right? And almost no one does the the winter start date. You know, you right. you start in the summer or you know at the end of summer. And uh, so, but but the nice thing and it's what ended up working out well for you is even all the like apartment places and stuff are, are used to full sale students coming in hot. You know, every month. Right. So that, so there tends to be a lot of even turnover in those months, too, because, you know, those they started in an odd month. So their lease ends in an odd month. So that's yeah. uh, it's interesting. And it, it's nice that it's kind of set up that way. So you can kind of show up and like, let's get started. We'll figure it out. Let's go. Right. Right. And I like I didn't have a car either. Like we I didn't have. I, I couldn't drive down there because my car would never I had I had the really old 1998 Ford Taurus that had, you know, 160,000 miles. It would not make the journey from Colorado to Florida. So I was like, I we bought a bike for me that week and then I was biking. So we were like trying to find places that were close enough for me to bike in Florida heat and humidity yeah. and not feel terrible about it. And we like really lucked out that this roommate who was moving into this place uh, that was I mean, it was maybe a mile up the street from full sale it just really worked out well interesting so so as you get started i want to hear about your you know your your early time at full sale because you are someone who excelled in traditional learning environments right you said you did really well in high school yeah i was the opposite i mean i i could have done well but i didn't right like i, I didn't i didn't care enough i didn't apply myself you know i I didn't excel in that type of environment when I got to full sail and it was hands-on learning. It was, you know, like very, uh, usually a pretty good student to teacher ratio, those kind of things. And I feel like I could get the help I needed. That's where I excelled. So what was it like for you being, you know, someone who did very well prior, what was the change like for you? Yeah, actually, I I really liked Full Sail. Um, the first like few classes were kind of like hit or miss when it's the kind of gen ed classes, you know, to 
the there's like the psychology of play class and some of those kind of stuff wow. um, where you're kind of spread apart. But what was really nice about those was that you could meet a lot of people from different programs, which is a lot harder as you get farther on into yeah. the degree where it's like the same 10 people that you've been with the entire time. But the actual like structure of classes, I really liked because because it's so accelerated. And at the time, I remember the programming classes were really hard and they've like since tried to make them a little bit better because they had really high fail rates for a lot of the early programming classes. I really liked it because it was super accelerated and it kind of felt like I was finally getting like challenged and I could move at my own pace for a lot of classes. Mm -hmm. Um versus like normal traditional high school where it's three months long and I just kind of like I breeze through a lot of the content early and then I'm just kind of coasting for most of it and I I really coasted throughout high school because in high school I was taking uh, I got an associate's degree which is a two-year thing but I started my freshman year right. so I really had like half classes half like half a schedule for four years the rest of my time I was spent on sports so like I kind of got a really nice chance to apply myself and challenge myself with a lot of really interesting things which is making games and i really like that wait so you started making games in high school no in in uh okay, in college once when, you got here at full okay, sale cool got you yeah. all right got you <laughs> i so, wish i would have right. i really wish i would have <laughs> yeah i like that you touched on the the early classes being mixed across the multiple degrees because I had the same experience. I made two lifelong friends in those early classes when I was at Full Sail that were in film and in audio. And I, you know, I wouldn't have really met them had we just gone straight into, you know, game development when I got there. Right. I've got, I've met some people through the, the digital marketing uh, degree that I still talk to every once in a while. So like, it's, it's a really interesting group of people to meet who are all interested in, different areas of entertainment mm -hmm. but kind of feel similar to you do as a as someone who's interested into games i feel which i i really liked it was a cool beginning to a, a new start kind of thing yeah i love that. that that's the thing i say is like everybody that's coming to full sale is generally interested about some element of entertainment right and so like the, the regardless of the the degree you choose or the path that you pick that that desire and the type of industry you're going into are very similar so you tend to have a lot of things in common with the people, at least in your mentality and the kind of things that you want to do. <laughs> Executives, yeah. I hate entertainment. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> You've picked the wrong thing, my man. <laughs> I hate entertaining. Is that is that the same thing? No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I like that too. But <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what, what streams are for, right? That's right. <laughs> I hope I can be entertaining at least every now and then, but that's why I have the dog too. He's uh he's more entertaining than I am. Oh, but, that's a easy free card. That's right. <laughs> I can't wait till I, we got a Corgi puppy over the, the holiday. She's just 12 weeks old right now. I can't wait till she's big enough to like get her own camera and be in here. Right oh, now she just destroys so everything, but she's a lot of fun <laughs> at least. I'm sure. I'm sure high energy. Very. Yeah. We're trying yeah. to figure out the whole, the nice thing is she's she's crate trained already. So she spends two hours in her crate and then an hour out. That's the cycle we kind of go through with her. Okay. So we get two hours to do things we need to do and then an hour to kind of like hyper focus on her and, you know, train and, you know, give her, uh, let her work out her energy and stuff like that. So now it's like, all right, how often do we walk? When do we walk? When do we work on, you know, these kind of training things, stuff like that. So it's like right, having a toddler. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Training's super important. I actually grew up with tons and tons of dogs um, because my parents used to train hunting dogs and mm. we'd go out to hunting dog competitions and stuff. So I've had... Oh, I mean, easily over hundreds of puppies, different litters. And, you know, I think there was one point where we had seven dogs and 21 puppies from oh. three different litters. Uh, I grew wow. up with a lot of dogs. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we were super into like training them. And I've I've seen a lot of how like that works and what's good and what's bad. Nice. We should have a talk later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm down. Yeah. I've trained all of my dogs. And I get them to do the things that I need them to do, but they also, they know when I'm like not paying attention. They know, you know, like they, right. they find those opportunities to, to do the stuff they really want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can be smart and it changes based off the breed too, right? Like yeah. it's different breeds are easier to train than others and take to certain things better and stuff. It's a, it's a lot for sure. Yeah. Like a, like a toddler, you said. Yeah, exactly. And the, the weird thing about Luna or Corgi is you can see how smart she is in her eyes, right? Like you can see her oh, yeah. thinking and yeah. calculating. And I'm like, oh man, like she's already like finding ways to subvert the things I'm trying to get her to do. <laughs> it's going to be fun, but I digress. <laughs> so to, let's talk about the, the rest of your time at Full Sail because we don't, we don't talk. Um, I don't think we talk enough about like, how were you preparing for what you ultimately wanted to do? Right. Because you came in for game dev, which means you're going to be a programmer, right? What, right. how did you start to determine like what kind of programming you liked, what kind of you know development you wanted to do? When did you start to kind of see that? Was, was it during your degree or did you get to the end and you're like, I, I, I'm not sure yet. Right. Yeah. So actually the first question is when you get into full say, I remember we had this conversation on the, um, the phone with the, uh, the financial advisor. I don't remember mm -hmm. what her position was. When I talked to Full Sail for the first time, asking like, what's it about? Um, when I had applied, the first question is like, do I go into game development or game design? Uh, and I had no clue like what the difference was. Most people right. don't. Um, so the way they had said it was like, well, if you're bad at math, you probably want to do game design. Oh, man. Um, and I was like, well, I'm great at math. Like, I haven't, I didn't, I was, I, you know, as I said, I took algebra two in middle school and stuff. Uh, I hadn't taken math classes throughout most of uh, high school because you don't need them for theater, but I was still pretty good at math. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go into that. And it's not entirely accurate that, like, you have to be good at math to be a good programmer. I mean, maybe if you're doing graphics, but for most things, like, you don't have to be good at math. You just have to take a couple of math classes right. that are, a little difficult so that was the first thing was like all right i guess i'm going to do game development but full sale sets you up really nicely as you go through the program and that all of the classes are kind of a uh exploration of the different types of programming and game development so there's like uh there's a graphics class there's a computer networking class you do you do data structures at some point if you want to try and do more back-end engineering stuff um there wasn't like a ui class but you definitely get some of that when you have to make your your two big projects your midterm and your final project so you kind of get a chance to go through and test everything and explore everything as i went through i did really good at graphics programming there's the two graphics classes and i i really excelled at them and i tried really hard and i really enjoyed it um and i think there's even 
this is a, a little bit of a, a, a humble brag, I guess. But there's um, there used to be an award, like a, a set of awards that the Graphics One class would have based off of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> and like if you happen to do well in the class, you would get like uh, you'd get a tier. So you'd be you'd be like the uh, the King Arthur tier or the the wizard tier or the Knights of Knee tier type of stuff. Um, and I, I think I was the first person to get the King Arthur tier in that because I like tried really hard, did all the extra credit and I really enjoyed graphics. So it's kind of what I was like thinking I was going to try and do throughout most of the rest of my time at Full Sail and when I graduated. Okay. It didn't really end up like that. The the thing about graphics programming is that there aren't a lot of junior graphics positions open. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, so when you're doing it, when you when you're like looking for positions, you kind of have to just take whatever you can find and then maybe transition to what you're trying to do. But the kind of goal was I'm going to do graphics programming is that's what I want to get into. So I'm going to go towards that as best I can. Okay. And how far into the program did you like make that determination? Was it closer to the end or in the middle? Let's see. So it was, it was right around graphics one, which is, I believe that was July. So that was actually about a year into okay. it. So 12, about 12 months in was when I had kind of like, I finished Graphics 1. I was like, yes, that's so cool. I had a great time. I, graphics 2 was super fun as well. I'm going to try and do this. Nice. And so we're going from that point through the rest of your degree. Were you able to leverage yourself and be like, in this thing we're doing, I'm going to be the graphics guy? Or like, did you have any opportunities to do that? Not as much as I would have liked. Um, the, the hard part was that my class ended up with four people and the only time that you can kind of really leverage graphics past that is in the final project. Um, but in our particular final project, we had to be, uh, a group of four for our team Okay. or f five. Was it? Yeah, it was five people. Uh, and we were all supposed to be on the same team. Because uh, I couldn't, like, go off and do my own thing um, unless I had, like, a really reasonable project. And I couldn't, I couldn't like, get anything um, that was, like, approved. Mm -hmm. So instead, I had a group project that I did with um, my team where we worked in Unreal. And Unreal kind of handles a lot of the graphics stuff That's true. for yeah. you. Okay. I tried to do what I could on that project. So, like, I did a bunch of shader work, which is kind of more tech art stuff but i still did a bunch of it uh and try to focus in that as much as i could okay that's cool so you said you had four people in your in your in your like final project class or did i miss did I misunderstand that i think it was five so okay. it was there was me there's emilio antonio walter and Saez. yeah there okay. was five of us in our uh our graduating class for the last like five or six months a bunch of the other people kind of like took a month off here took a month off there got held back at a certain class you know okay and so that that's why you didn't have a choice on who your teammates were going to be then right like this was just your group yes yep well that's <laughs> that's how it is in the industry mostly so yes it is 100 percent agree <laughs> yep we almost never get to choose who we work with right like and that's uh that's a, a lesson that I love that you learn early on, at, you know, in the game dev program is you, you may get put together with someone that you feel like isn't 
pulling their weight. You may get put together with someone that's better at something than you are. Like there's a, a lot of things that to consider with that. And it's a very real world scenario. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think I handled it as well as I should have going through school too, because uh, I, I mean, I, there were some people that I felt like didn't do as well as me when I was going through. Um, and I think the way I approached that wasn't, appropriate um so i'm actually really thankful that i had the chance to go through that and then reflect upon it later to help prepare me for when i was actually in the industry and it makes a bigger difference to you know have those like conflicts with other your team members absolutely yeah another part of like that that is all part of the plan right i i think that's i think an education does does well for you when it considers those kind of things right like it's supposed to prepare you for what you're actually going to deal with and you're coming through, you were like 18 years old, right? Like you were not very old at yeah. all. Yep. So like, yeah, that's when you're learning, not only what, you know, you're, you're learning how to be in college, you're learning how to be an adult and you're learning how to prepare for a career. That is a lot for someone to yeah. deal with in a couple of years. Yeah, you know, some people get a little bit of that experience if they've got like a, you know, part-time job in high school where they're, you know, working at a pizza place or something and they still have to kind of get a little bit of that. I didn't. I didn't have a single job before college. So, I mean, I kind of had a job. I worked as a um, I worked as a scorekeeper at bodybuilding competitions, but it's not <laughs> exactly the same thing. <laughs> what does that entail? <laughs> Uh, so this is this is a different entirely different side thing of my life um but both my parents are bodybuilders they're actually both professional bodybuilders and um they're now both bodybuilding judges and they've been bodybuilding judges for a long time uh maybe 10 plus years or something and at bodybuilding competitions they have someone uh, at the competition who tallies up the scores that all the judges have because it's all pen and paper like they don't have like a uh you know apps that you like put in your scores and then it just does all the calculations for you you have to have someone write out pen and paper average them take out highs and lows and figure out who you know who places what in the competitions and you know as i said i was good at math so they signed me up to do that and i did that for i don't know five six years wow I, that definitely the first time i've heard that one so uh, yeah <laughs> that is and so what you were doing this while at full sale no this was uh when i was in colorado in high school okay gotcha all right yeah but that was only like <laughs> job it was it wasn't a real job it was like one day on a weekend every month from like sure. March okay. to August or something like that. And then I wouldn't do it during the school year. So, man, I was really hoping you were going to say that was your side gig while you were in college. That was, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to have a lot money. of questions, a whole lot of questions. <laughs> so, so as you're, you're finishing up your, you know, your, your final project, you're, you're starting to think now, I'm almost done with this. I've got to start thinking about the future. At what point did you start like reaching out to companies, starting to get your portfolio and stuff like that together? Yeah. So I made a lot of mistakes on how I approached anything that was outside of the school in full sale. Um, and what I mean by that is I didn't do a ton of networking within Full Sail, even despite how much they try to tell you and hammer it into you that networking is super important. So I didn't do a bunch of, bunch of that. The second thing that I really messed up was that 
I didn't look at applying to any companies at all during my entire time at Full Sail. Wow. Okay. What I was thinking, because if you remember, when I graduated high school, I basically finished and then went straight to Florida and started college. Right. Uh, when I and then I had, you know, 20 months of basically crunching at uh, Full Sail to do as well as I could there. Um, so when I what my plan was, was that I was going to take a couple months after finishing Full Sail to take my summer vacation that I missed after high school and okay. just not do anything, not apply anywhere, just go back home to Colorado, live with my parents for a little bit, and then I can start trying to apply to places and get my life figured out. How did that go? Uh, not great. <laughs> I, I'm really curious. So you made this decision a few months, you know, like you were not even really close to graduation at that point, I would assume. So you, you kind of, you decided that you're going to wait until I'm done here then I'll look into that stuff. But there had to been a lot of pressure coming from instructors and stuff as you were finishing, right? Yeah, actually, I ended up getting um, an offer to be a labbie for the game design course. There's um, there's a course in, on the game design program where they teach programming. I don't know exactly which one. It may be have, Maybe it's a Unity course or something, but... Yeah. Um, one of the game development instructors, I guess, maybe taught or talked to someone there and said, really liked me when I went through my class. It was the animation class. And he said that, like, hey, Dallas is really good and he works hard and he would be a good option for this. And so he offered me a position that I was like, no, I'm going to say no to that because I'm going to go home to Colorado and take three months off. Because that's the thing to do. Don't don't do what I did. <laughs> you know. All right. So uh, there, there's two sides to this, right? Like I, on the one side, I I really appreciate what you did because I think recovery is important. I think right. downtime is important. You just came through. Like for those that that don't know anything about full sales programs, it's a minimum of 40 hours a week. It's a full-time job. Like that's just class time, right? And then you're also probably throwing at least 10 to 20 more hours onto that for doing your projects and homework and that kind of stuff, right? So yep. it's intense and you're learning, right? So it's not like you're just working hard. You're absorbing and bettering yourself. It's exhausting. Right. So... I totally understand the thought of like, you know what? I need a break and I, I don't fault you for that at all. All right. All right. And it, it can be a lot harder for a lot of other people too. like, it was hard for me, but I kind of had it easy because I didn't have to work like a side job. Like I know plenty of people that like have to work a part-time job while at full sale I did. just to afford, you know, their living expenses and all of that. But I was very fortunate that I had my mom help me pay for all my expenses and my roommate like took over. He, he, he ended up paying more of the rent, like more than half of the rent so that I was paying, I think it was paying like a third and he was paying two thirds. So like I was super fortunate and I was still like burnt out by the end of full sale where I just like, I could not focus on doing other things at that time. I can't imagine what it's like if you have to work side jobs during that. Yeah, it's it's not great. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it it really impacts your ability to to put in the effort that you'd like to at at the you know at, at best case, uh, because okay. you know and, and but this is also a little bit of why I I think most people do not think about taking a break when they're done because they're immediately thinking about I need to pay a more uh, rent. Yeah. I need to pay student loans. 
And you know what I mean? Like it's, you're entering the workforce with a lot of burden, you know, and, and as, and as someone who's coming out at like 19, 20 years old, whatever, you know, young, that's a lot to think about. Absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a hard position to be in and plenty of people do it. And I commend them because it is not easy. Yeah. So, so you at this point decided you're going to take that break. I assume that means go hang out with your family for a little while. Yeah, I went back to Colorado and I lived there for a bit, uh, trying to just kind of chillax. And is that what happened? Did you get to actually relax? I, it was maybe about a month of that. And I was like, okay. I'm getting antsy. I want to go get a job. I want nice. to get in the game industry. I want to. I want to start making games. I've been. I. I started like doing. You know, programming every day and just. I. I go to the library. We didn't have internet at my home, so I had to drive up to the library and every single day and then do a bunch of programming exercises and look at jobs and try to you know make my resume good and apply and do interviews and stuff um, for. Oh, it was maybe, let's see. So I graduated March 3rd, 2017, which was the same day that the Nintendo Switch came out. And then I basically was in that position for seven months. It wasn't until October that I ended up getting a job. Okay. All right. So that, that tracks, right? I usually tell people it's going to take you six months to a year probably to actually get get work right because yep. entry-level work is already hard to find and then also finding entry-level work that you're best suited for and that your skill you know like that it just kind of comes together that that's not an easy thing to have and that's why we usually tell people six months before you graduate start looking yep. and you know starting to, to to put some feelers out there absolutely yeah the earlier you can start the better it, it's almost a numbers game with how it ends up being so yeah the thing that I love that you said though was it took about a month and then you got the itch. Right. <laughs> that that's that can be very different for people, right? Like there can be a bit of like pressure and anxiety and like those kind of things. But I think it's great when you're like, I need to break, but now I'm ready. That that's the ideal scenario. Cause if you're ready, you're now motivated. You're gonna do the right things, yeah. you're gonna prepare yourself. Sometimes it's hard to get in that mental space though. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're burnout, like burnout isn't always solved just with time. Like yeah. it can mean a lot of other things. So it can be hard to get into that space. And then, and then you're putting yourself in a position where you're applying for jobs, which is probably one of the hardest things mentally that I've ever had to do is go through job application process. Both times that I've had to do it, it's been draining and I've yeah. still lucked out relatively well. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the best scenario, it's stressful, right? Like, yeah. like it's, it's, it's crazy because especially when you get to the point where you're like, there's a job that I'm, I'm trying for that I, that I really want. And I think that I'm good for, and you kind of, you know, it feels really good when you're thinking about the prospect of being there. And then now you're like, what do I do to make sure I look right? What do I make sure to understand that they understand who I am and how I can fit there? Like there's, there's a whole lot of just like, anxiety and and you know just bombardment of like how do i make this thing happen yeah yeah and then rejections can 
be heartbreaking, especially as you get farther and farther into a process. You know, you, yeah. you go months without getting anything back and then you finally get your first interview and you're so excited for it. And then you do your first interview and they go with someone else. And then that just shattering, you know, and, and just and then you just kind of get back on it and keep going. Yeah. Keep having yourself get shattered <laughs> until you finally get something. <laughs> get shattered till you make it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, shattered it, till you make it. It's interesting, though, because those moments are like what I try to tell everyone is go into any interview knowing you're going to at least learn something, right? You get yeah. some experience. You you heard a new interview question that you can now be prepared for later. You you got to a point where you were stumped and you're like, wait, I don't I don't know enough about myself and my desires and my skills to be able to answer a question effectively. Like those are things that you can improve from. There's always something you can gain from any interview. So take them all. Right, right. And just the confidence of like, I'm yeah. used to talking to someone about these things, maybe over a Zoom call, because that's just like how everyone has to do it nowadays, right? So like, just building that up in yourself to be confident about what you're talking about, just gives you even more, you know, presentation that is liked by people, because they can tell that you're confident. And that just makes you more liked. And that's super important, unfortunately. Yeah. The other, the other wild thing about interviewing is you may interview at a company and the people they select to interview and evaluate you is a huge part of the, like it is, it is the process, yeah. right? And you may connect with those people. You may not like, and if you don't, how do you make sure they at least understand what you're good at and that you can convey that you're valuable, even if you don't kind of, you know, make that connection and feel good about that experience. Like there's just so much stuff there. That's that you have to think about and, and kind of work your way through. Yeah, absolutely. In the chat, hell for just saying streaming helps a lot with talking to strangers. <laughs> that is absolutely true. <laughs> well, yeah. So no, that's completely true. I, for a bit, I wanted to do, um, let's plays, right? Like I wanted to kind of be a YouTuber, not, not like make it my career, but like I just really liked people that made Let's Plays and put them online. And a way to kind of get comfortable with doing that was I would just, when I was playing games by myself, I would talk to myself like I was doing Let's Play stuff. Nice. Um, and I thought, I genuinely think that helped me be more comfortable with talking either to a screen or just to people in general and like, and about the things that I like and enjoy. And I really like think just getting more practice with doing any of that kind of stuff whether it's streaming youtube videos even even just mock interviews with your friends can like so be so helpful yeah man it's really interesting i always tell people i think regardless of what um discipline you choose in game development it is always good to work on public speaking skills and and what i talk about like as a designer i need them right like i i talk to sometimes hundreds of people about a thing that I'm trying to convey information. I need to be confident. I need to be clear and concise. I need to make sure that the information is coming across in a way that's receivable, that it maybe has a little humor, like all those things, right? You only get there if you start practicing and the best way, and you just got to find the right comfortable place to do that. Whether it's, Hey man, you're my friend. I trust you. Can you do a mock interview with me? Right. Or can you act like my audience? You know, there's, there's ways to kind of like start small and build from there, but you need to kind of cultivate that skill set. Yeah. Yeah. 
people are behind everything. And that's that's kind of the thing that I've been thinking about a lot over the past year or so is that no matter what, there's going to be a person that you have to talk to, pitch to, some kind of something that there's a person and what they're doing and thinking, how they perceive you is so important. And so just understanding where they are in their particular shoes and what you need to do to pitch a design to them or pitch a game to a publisher, or maybe you're pitching some kind of tech change under the hood that you want people to take. Like, even if you're a single developer on a, you know, like, you know, um, Concerned Ape made Stardew Valley, right? And he's a single person made all of the art, all the sound, all of that stuff. That person still had to work with a publisher and still had to have people skills to be able to get that game to where it is. So, being able to work on your people skills is probably the most important thing that you can do, I would say. Yeah, I'm with you. That That's a really good point too. And the people that do it all, right? Like the, like the, like the example you gave Stardew Valley, one person that is, that's never going to be me. That's never going to be most of us, right? Like we need people around us that are experts in various parts of game development, right? Which is why teams continue to get bigger, right? Cause you've got, people that continue to like, I'm a specialist in this part of my discipline. Let me just do this awesome thing, get better at it. It's going to make your game better. That's great. But you need to be able to, to have rapport with those people, communicate with them, make sure you're on the same page, make sure that an idea that you have is one that they also can help bring to fruition and vice versa, right? Like it's, there's so much about communication and just establishing connection and relationship with people. It's, like that is to me the most important part because we all have skills, right? Like we can all figure out solutions to problems, but sometimes we need other people to do that. We need to make sure that they understand those solutions and like just making sure we come together is, is the key. Right. Right. Yeah. No, 100% Jameson. You're exactly right. Well, we can stop there. So uh, no. <laughs> actually, all right. So, uh, I have, this is probably really good time before we get into your first job. All right. I've got a couple of things. One, I've got some questions I call the dev round. Uh, these are general questions that I like to ask all of my guests, but I also want to take a quick break. Would you like to do the break before those questions or after? Let's do it before them. And then we'll come back and go right into the dev round. Sounds great. All right, guys, we're going to step away for like 60 seconds. We'll be back in just a moment and we'll pick this up. Be sure to get your questions ready and uh, throw them in the chat and we'll get to you soon. All right, we'll be right back.
He said six seconds. I mean, it had to wait for it to come. We had just gotten to Microsoft. I didn't talk about it. That's it. What? That's me, that's. We're taking time. We're not holding around. All right, we back. Are you there? Do I still hear you? Sure am. All right, refresh this thing. There we go. All right, so you ready for the dev round? Let's do it. All right, first question. What is your favorite game of all time and why? Okay, so I have kind of a double answer to this. My favorite game of all time as a gamer is Xenoblade Chronicles for the Wii okay. or Switch or whatever. The second part to this is that my favorite game of all time as a game developer is Dark Souls. Oh. And I have a different answer because to me, I don't... I, the way that I play games is different than like how I think about making games. Yeah. Um, and so I played Xenoblade Chronicles when I was, oh, it came out in I think 2012 or something. So I was like 16 and I played that and it blew my mind. And the story was like perfect for me. It, it meant a lot to me at that time in my life. And it was very, um, influential for a lot of different things so because of that it's kind of been my favorite game but as i've grown into game development i've kind of changed how i think about games and what i appreciate about them and i played dark souls 3 for the very first time it came out in 2016 which i was going through full sale and it was kind of like at that point where we were really talking about games and how they work and you know dissecting them and all that type of stuff so it was, i was i was at school doing game development stuff thinking about it and then i'd go home and i'd play dark souls 3 which has all these other great stuff about game development that you can learn just by like thinking about why the game is made that way because you know people behind it are 
putting, you know, level designers are putting the characters in that spot and putting the, you know, the item to bait you to go up to it so a, a thing could come off and push you off the edge. Like, it just really influenced a lot of how I think about game development and design. And so that's why I really like, uh, I, that was Dark Souls 3, but I think Dark Souls is kind of a more interesting case study of a game. I like it. I, man... I always love hearing how, how first of all, with, with Xenoblade, how it, like, touched you, right? Like, that's the games that resonate with people. I like that a lot. <laughs> and then as you start to become a developer, it, your perception changes, right? Because you're, it's hard to play a game now and not think about the behind the scenes, right? Absolutely. I can't imagine what, <laughs> what that would be like anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, our, the way we think about games is forever changed. And it's hard sometimes to truly and to just truly just enjoy something as a player because you're often at least a little bit thinking about what went into it, why they made that decision, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right. And I actually I've got a girlfriend who I've been with for a while and she hasn't been a super hardcore gamer. Um, she's played a couple of mobile things. And um, recently she's since about 2020, she's gotten into playing a little bit more console stuff. Uh, she started with like Animal Crossing New Horizons and um, we played through she or she played through Wind Waker. And it was really interesting watching her play through for the first time. So I could almost have that same experience vicariously through her of like what it's like for someone to play through a game who doesn't know about game development It's just playing a game and experiencing it for the first time. But I still got my side of things where I'm like thinking about, oh, it's interesting that she hits this wall here or has problems with these things and how would i change that as a game developer and what would i do to fix that or any kind of stuff it, it was it's like i get experience it in two different ways at the same time it's it's really fun oh i love that my wife and i have often talked about playing through a game together and just like passing the controller back and forth we haven't done it yet but you've just encouraged me to kind of push for that to happen sooner because that like seeing someone experience something in a different way with a whole, like their whole life leading up to that point affects how they would approach a problem. Yeah. Right. And so like seeing how someone who, you know, thinks differently than you approach it and someone that you care about seeing it, seeing how they approach it. And like, and, and I can imagine myself also being like, wait, wait, you need, you need to do, you need to do this. Like, can, can you do that? Or, but I say that she's actually a, like an old school gamer. So there's not going to be an issue or anything, but it's just funny to think about like just how we experience that stuff all differently. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I try to be super hands-off. Like she'll ask me questions all the time and I'm like, Nope, I want to see how you figure it out <laughs> right. because I know I'm not going to just give the answer to you. Like you gotta, you gotta try and fail at it as much as you can. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> And I think that I we started off with some like easier games is one of the hard things for people who don't play games is just getting an understanding of the like hand eye coordination, right, is trying to move a character with your left thumb and turning the camera with your right thumb is as foreign to people who haven't played a lot of games as like playing piano is to someone who hasn't played piano and trying to have both hands do things at the same time. And so like, that's a big first hurdle. So if you can take out like real time things and play a lot of like turn based stuff, you can kind of ease them into it easier. I think at, at least if you don't have like a lot of hard underlying systems, you know, some games tend to be like XCOM or something. Yeah. It's, you know, the biggest thing, 
uh, talking from her, she she played up through the Nintendo 64 pretty heavily. And it's I think it's often about the number of buttons these days that becomes something that is, uh, you know, kind of a barrier of entry for people. You know, with Nintendo and Super Nintendo, we had a much smaller section of buttons to work with Nintendo, especially, right? Or even back as far as, like, my mom playing on the Atari with one button and a stick, right? And thinking about, like, all of this instead of, you know, a simple, you know, arcade couple of buttons maybe moving a stick, that's that's a major difference. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I have not caught on to yet is the, the paddles on the back of a controller. Like... You know, so like you, you get the elite controller, or whatever has a couple of paddles on each side, so you can use your, you know, your trick, your fingers on under the the base of the controller. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have enough brain power for that. Like I'm already, <laughs> I'm already struggling with like the thirty buttons that's on the face of this thing. Right. And now adding them on the back too is just too much for me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't grow yeah. up with that. <laughs> All right, you ready for the next question? Let's do it. It might be a bit early for this one, but I'm curious to hear your answer. When did you first feel like you had made it in game development? You know, when it happens, I'll let you know. That, that is a perfectly <laughs> viable answer. I, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it, was there, has there been a moment like where you, you start? Okay. So early in my career, it was turmoil for like the first three years or something where it was like, right. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how long this job is going to last. What, how am I going to find the next one? It wasn't for me until I, till odd world shut down. That was my third company. till they shot until they shut down. And then suddenly companies were coming to me and that's when I was like, Oh, okay. Now I'm not stressed. Like now the stress is what's the right place for me to go. What's the best situation to move into it's not how am I going to pay my bills next week? So right. th for that was the moment for me. Have you reached anything like that yet? And, and uh, if the answer is no, that is totally cool, right? It's I'm like just always close. Curious. Yeah, it's it's close. So I, it, a little bit of a, a spoiler for our future conversation here with my new job recently. That's probably the closest I've felt to having that kind of like oh okay yeah i'm i'm a game dev people look at me and see like game dev and are interested and confident that i can do these things and i've have done these things you know right. that's probably the closest if not maybe maybe like my first day at my first game dev job when I walked into the office and walked around and saw everything that kind of felt almost like that in a similar fashion. Nice. No, I get it. And it's what you you said you're seven years in, right? So, Oh no, I'm, I'm three and a half years. Wait, what am I? Wait, how are you three and a half years? Am I, I what year did you graduate? I, I graduated 2017. That's five years ago. What happened? Uh, well, you, you want to get to it? We will, but hold on. We will. We will. I guess I, it's, it's almost four years at this point for, for how long it's been. Uh, now, I'm, now I'm even more excited to talk about that part. But I got two more questions for you. We'll do, we'll do these quickly. What advice would you give to someone who's looking for their first job in the industry? Networking and internships. 
uh, networking, just knowing someone, is it's probably the most common thing. And it's not just like knowing people at full sale and knowing people in the different degrees at full sale. It's like there are, especially nowadays, there are tons of events that you can go to that aren't even GDC. Like there's, you know, um, there's all sorts of programs, especially for marginalized developers, the, where you can go to it, you can network with all sorts of other game developers. There are often mentors who are in the game industry that are going to those to meet you know, people and help them learn about getting into the industry and can help get you a job of some sort. The second thing is internships. Um, probably the one of the things that I would change is I would have tried to look for internships a lot early. It's a little weird um, depending on what type of internship and how it works with uh, full sale specifically is like, uh, you ha full sale will cover some internship stuff if you're like within I think maybe a year after you've graduated or something like that. Um, some companies don't care if you've been recently graduated from some place. Uh, it kind of depends, but there are a decent amount of internships out there. Sony does them, Activision does them, Treyarch does them, and they're all really good starts because they're expecting someone to not have any experience at all. And if you can get that and you can try for it, like it's a it's the quickest way in. But I mean, aside from knowing someone who's just going to give you a job. All right. That's great. All right. The fourth and final question. This is my favorite question. What did, um, if you were born in 1870, what job or career do you think you would have had? Nobody's programming in the 1800s. Nobody's programming. Not what? <laughs> not, not the typical today's form of programming. I think 1800s, the programmers back then were like, you know, the calculator, the people, people that had the job calculator, right? Where they're With on battlefields, taking out timetables <laughs> and doing like, oh, here's how you angle your cannon to fire something like maybe, maybe that. Uh, otherwise, it, probably theater related in oh, some yeah. way. They, yeah. they had theater stuff. That's probably the most likely thing, I think. That that totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. If you had, you had a desire for that early, that. That's been a thing as long as we remember, right? Like, <laughs> in some form of fashion. Right. Interesting. You have a good answer. My, I do. I do not have a great answer. Like my, <laughs> like my, all of my stuff is so technology based. You know, like it's it's hard to think about how it would have fit in in a time where we there was was there even electricity? If there was, it was it was new, right? Like I can't remember. It was around that time. I'm I'm. It's probably sounding like an idiot right now, but, uh, maybe, that, maybe you could be an inventor. Maybe you invent electricity, right? Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> that, that takes a level of intelligence that I do not have. So <laughs> at least I don't think I I'm have. sure some of it is grit. Just getting at it. You yeah. know, you know what? I, you're right. And, and part of it also is like, Hey, we all know that, uh, you know, people will see someone else do something and then they'll do it better. And then they're the one that gets recognized for it. Right. right. Who right. knows where I would have fallen in that hierarchy of things if I were trying to figure something out. Absolutely. But, polishing, polishing a game design is, isn't that much different than polishing the design of a light bulb, perhaps. Well, it, it's true in, in the regard of the ideas are not the important part in game development. I, I think right. you would agree, right? It's about the right idea at the time and but more importantly 
can we execute the idea and does the execution of that idea fit the vision that we're trying to complete right and so there's so many people that that think they want to make games they often are like i've got these great ideas and i'm like i love that but we all have them like the idea is not the important part let's let's make something yeah yeah absolutely it's the iteration honestly yeah constantly checking what your work is doing how it feels what it's about and then changing (laughs) going to being honest with yourself about you know the current experience and then being able to say all right well maybe we need to do something different or maybe it's like it's good but it just needs a little little something extra you know yeah being honest with yourself is a is another important aspect absolutely yeah it's so much about problem solving you know and 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 often understanding that I'm I may not have the right solution to that problem, but somebody will, and I need to know who that is and how to get that solution out of them. Right, right. All right, we've hit the end of the dev round. I love those answers; those are great. Now it's time to talk about how did you get your first job in the industry. We are an hour and fifteen minutes into this discussion, and now I want to hear how did you get that first job. Right. So quick catch up. Graduated March 2017, seven months down the line, sometime sometime in October, probably mid-September. I am doing interviews, probably the most interviews that I've done for any position, because I think at this point I had done maybe an interview for a, um, a casino company in like Minnesota that didn't go through. And then I did one initial interview with, um, oh, what's the, it's a company in Austin. They make the, uh, the Darksider series. I think it's Gunfire Games is what they're called. I had done an interview with them and a coding test. And that's about all I had seen. Wait, did you say Darksiders? Yeah, they did Darksiders 3, I think, and maybe some of the other ones. Yeah, Vigil did the first couple. I think the third one was just somebody else, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know they were working on it at that time because that's what I had in my little spreadsheet as what that company does was they were working on Darksiders 3 or something like that. And then, yeah, that's about all I had actually interviewed with with anyone um, until I kind of got pretty far with uh, a little company called Treyarch, uh, who... Yeah, was really exciting. I had gone through, let's see, I did an initial screening interview with the recruiter, and then I did a coding test, and then I did two more, yeah, I did two um, remote interviews on Skype back then before everyone kind of like moved to doing this stuff. And then I did another coding test, and that last coding test they basically said was... um, the the extent of what you were doing that was the final phase oh actually there i think there's a third interview so i did three interviews the hr interview two coding tests and that final coding test they told me was the final stage at this point they were just deciding whether or not um they were gonna hire me or hire one of the other candidates who had applied for the position at the same time I had a friend who I went through Full Sail with, um, his name is Zachary Sewell. He was one of the first people to graduate from the simulation and visualization program. Um, he had stayed in Florida and he was working at a military training simulation company in Florida called Proactive 
technologies. Um, and he had reached out to me saying, hey, we need a job. I know you don't have a job and it's been six months since we graduated. So I know that your loan payments are coming up. Uh, would you like to come work at this company? And I was like, well, I do need a job. So I guess I'll do, I'll apply. We'll see how it goes. I did, I think one inter one technical interview with them and they were basically like, yeah, sure. We'll give you, we'll give you an offer. But I was still waiting for something from Treyarch. And I had an offer from Proactive doing military simulations. Oh man! So all right. So I want I want to talk about this a little bit. So first of all, I want you skipped over a little bit of the step of like how did the connection to Treyarch happen? Because I want to know like like sure. that, that's something a lot of people want to know. Like how did you actually get in a conversation with them? Did you apply to their website? Did you talk to a recruiter? Like how how did that part happen? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what I did for most of my applications was I um, went on to a site called gamedev.map, uh, where yeah, it basically yeah. says, here's a city and here's all of the game companies in that city. And some of them are mobile, some of them are VR, XR, some of them are just publishers. And then I basically, and it usually it links to the site. So I just went through, linked to another site, and then uh, looked to see if they had any jobs open that I could possibly do as a entry level uh, programmer. I think I even looked at design stuff, um, but there were, I think there were significantly less entry-level design positions, um, so I didn't get to apply. I think I applied maybe to like a Blizzard one, uh, and that was about all that was open in that like six months period. So I feel for designer entry-level designers trying to get in, it is not easy. But I basically that's what I did. Is I Treyarch had a site. I clicked on them. I didn't even know who Treyarch was until I saw. Oh, they worked on Call of Duty Black Ops. Uh, they've got an entry-level gameplay position. I will apply to that. And then that's basically all it was until you know they reached out to me, did the initial screening, did co-test, other interviews, final co-test. That was my entire process with them. Man. All right. So <laughs> I have one side question here. Did you work with Henry Schmidt when you worked there? Do, you... do not know the name. Okay. So Henry Schmidt, designer I worked with at Volition, he went to, to, to Treyarch. I don't know, like in 2010 or something. I think he's still there. <laughs> but I was, I'm always curious whenever I hear somebody work, like went to a studio, I'm like, Hey, do you know, blah. And that that's basically how this industry works, right? Like, Oh, you right. work there. Do you know this person? Were they any good? Should we hire them? Like that's, that's a big part of what we do. Right. Right, right. Well, I did one of those alumni mixers um, earlier last year. I, earlier, uh, wow, it's a new year. I did it last year. I did, I did a bunch of the alumni mixers last year, and um, I think it was the Texas Austin, Texas one. I met um, Mark Kilborn, oh, yeah. who had also worked at Call of Duty, and he was like, "Oh, hey, you work at Treyarch? Do you happen to know Brian Tui?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, I know Brian. I had a whole bunch of conversations with him about audio stuff, uh, and because we, I." gave a lot of feedback about audio. And so he talked to me a lot about it and it just that kind of stuff just starts to happen more and more. <laughs> yeah. The longer you're in the industry, the more it's going to happen. It, it is a, a, such a small industry. That's something that people don't understand often is like, I've, I've, I've worked at six, five, six companies now. And every person I talk to knows someone I worked with somewhere else. 
right? right. And like that, that's how you can always ask people, Hey, have you worked with this guy? What's he like? What should I know? You know, like, are what, how can I make this relationship better? It's and the small industry coupled with people being really forthcoming with information. It, it like it's it's the coolest place to work like there's just so much just collaboration that happens across companies it, it's it's wild i love it yeah yeah 100 it's it's awesome and it, it's weird that it feels so small in that regard and then and then you like go to e3 or or even like gdc or something that's like where do all of these people come from there's right, so many of right. them <laughs> what are they doing like <laughs> and that that's another thing i love about the industry is there's there's so many avenues too it's like people coming out of college are like i'm only going to work in india i'm only going to work in AAA. blah you know like like they have this perception in their mind and i'm like dude you have no idea what opportunities are going to present themselves you need to be open to anything that is applicable to your skill set because you're going to make money there's probably going to be something that's interesting a lot of jobs that in this industry don't last that long so right. embrace it think about it don't don't be thinking about oh i'm only going to go eventually work at blizzard or like whatever it is like their their lifelong dream you might get there eventually but that's not where your focus should be right now all right especially if it's your first thing like get anything and that will look way better to blizzard when you're looking at getting, getting blizzard you know yeah, and so you were you were in Colorado hanging with your parents, looking for jobs. You you got this thing, and now you're suddenly moving to LA, right? That's where Treyarch is. No, not exactly. Okay. See, <laughs> this is this is the unfortunate part of this story is that I had I was in the final phase with Treyarch. I had done all the stuff that they asked. They were just waiting to make a decision on which of the final candidates that they were going to hire for the position. And I had an offer from Proactive in Florida. Okay. And I told, I told Proactive, I was like, hey, I've got this offer. Can we wait? Treyarch hasn't really given me time, but they said they're still interviewing some of the other candidates and it's going to be like another two weeks or something. And Proactive was like, no, we need to know basically within the next few days. And I was like, okay, oh. what do I do? Oh, man. And I basically decided like, okay, I'll say yes to Proactive. I will go down to Florida. I've got a friend there. He's the one who recommended me for the job. I'll crash on his couch. And then if Treyarch says yes, I will quit proactive the week of. And then I will go back to Colorado, get whatever else stuff I need. And then I will go out to L.A. and go work at Treyarch and work in games. If Treyarch says no, then all right, I guess I'll have my mom ship me the rest of my stuff. I'll find a place and I'll come work at proactive. And while I'm there, I will continue applying to games and hopefully getting games as soon as I can. And oh, unfortunately man. it was the latter case that happened. Oh, it did. So, yep. So then Treyarch did not accept you right away. Treyarch rejected me. They said that they were going with one of the other candidates. And so I took the proactive job and was working at Florida. All right. This, in Florida. This is what I love about the fact that we have not had this conversation. Cause I did not see this coming. Right, like, <laughs> so, yeah, especially when you know, like, where I've been and what right, I've done. Right, right. <laughs> so, and, and this is what's super interesting to me because you, you, I think you made the right decision. I, if it were me, I would take the thing that's that is offered to me, and then evaluate, reassess whatever I need to as I go. Because there's a possibility you would love it, right? Like, you, you, right. you do the thing, you love it, you love the people. Like, 
it's it's often not talked about enough how much the day-to-day matters, right? Like the thing that you're doing and the thing that gets shipped that goes out and that people care about and play, that is the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the day-to-day and who I'm working with and what I'm responsible for and how many hours that I need to work during that day, that stuff is your life. That's really important. But we don't think about that as much when we're looking for a job necessarily. Right. Right. The glamour of like, oh, I shipped this game and now everyone at GameStop's going to recognize me right. and I'm going to get pulled over on the street and people are going <laughs> to ask me to sign something and take their picture with them. Like, no, nah, it's really like maybe a cool day, maybe a week, depending on how good your game was and how many, how much people liked it. And then, and then you go back, you go back to the normal day to day, making games, doing the normal stuff. And you know, there's a, there, it's a quick, quick euphoria for how long you spend working on, on a game. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's all about the day to day, which, which is why I didn't really like working at proactive when I went there. And, um, and that, it, that's possible as well, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, so it's a military simulation place, which probably means that I'm more scared to say something about what I did there than I would be at a game place where I've signed an NDA. Um, but it, really, it's just it's like any government job um, and that the government is really slow at everything. Yeah. And this even bleeds into developing military training simulations for them and unity. Uh, so that's why that's part of why they like me is that I had experience with unity. Uh, but it was just I, the, I spent about three months there and I did more PowerPoint presentations and documentations than any programming. Mm. I don't even think I technically checked in a single change list. I did programming to like test out prototypes of certain things, but like I never Ugh. checked in any actual code the entire time I was there. And, and, and for those that, <laughs> for those that are newer to talking about the industry, that literally means you felt like you didn't contribute to a project, yep. right? Like, and, and so as a designer, I do a lot of that, right? As a designer, I'm pitching things, I'm discussing things, I'm trying to get people on board. But as someone who's a developer and like trying to make cool shit, to not check anything in in three months is mind blowing to me. Like that's, yeah. that, that means as you apparently decided that that was not the right place for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I already knew kind of going in that, like I was not going to stay there. I wanted to work in games. I got a game development degree. I really like games. That's what I'm going to do. And then working there, I was like, okay, yeah, I really need to get into games <laughs> as soon as I can. Uh, and I looked out, I, it was about, let's see. So I started early October and then I think it was the weekend after Thanksgiving, I got an email from the recruiter or um, the, yeah, I think recruiter is her title. Um, Jennifer Ripley was a recruiter or was a recruiter. I think she's at Epic Games now. She was the recruiter at Treyarch who had originally talked to me when I went through the process. She had sent me an email after Thanksgiving saying, hey, we have a position open on a different team and one of the hiring managers that interviewed you the first time around 
really liked you and he recommended you for that position, would you be interested in applying to that and doing a couple more interviews uh, for that other position? And I was like, yes, please <laughs> get me out of here. I want to be in games. I will apply to whatever position you want me to apply to. That, man, that, huh. so it's really, one of the things I want to make sure that we touch on here and that, that I tell to people who are recent grads or about to become grads, I think you did the right thing, right? Like you, you took the thing that allowed you to live and, and pay your bills while you figured out what your next step was, right? Like even though you figured and thought and, and, and at least hoped that that was a, a temporary step for you, you, you did the thing that allowed you to be okay until you could then figure out what that next step was. And, and I think that's an important lesson for a lot of people that are just jumping into the industry because like I said, six, nine, 12 months, it might take to get your first like true game developer industry job. Yeah. Yeah. And the key part about it too, for me, what I like try to tell people about this is that part of the reason that, um, the hiring manager, who was one of the programmers on the team who had hired for the original position and had interviewed me, um, part of the reason that he recommended me for the job, this new position that was open, uh, he told me himself was because I had presented myself as a class act, was his words, class act. And part of that came about uh, kind of kind of, kind of, of a lucky thing. Um, when they had sent me the final coding test, they there was something that happened with their firewall in that the test didn't actually get sent to me. They were like, the test is going to, we're going to send the test to you. You have to start it at this time and complete it in this time after we've, we've sent it to you. We'll, we're telling you in advance that that's when we're going to send it. But at that time, I got the email and no coding test came through. There was no attachment in the email. And so I like was like, hey, guys, what's happening? What's going on here? Um, and we had this whole like conversation of like, just technical difficulties. The IT firewall prevented the attachment from going through. And I was like, oh yeah, no, sure. It's cool whatever. I'm ready to do the test or whatever. And because of that interaction, that was part, that, on top of, you know, all of my other stuff when I interviewed and how well I did in the other aspects, but that also made me stand out so that the hiring manager was like, yes, this person is clearly a good person to work with and understanding. And if this is how they approach this situation right now, they'll probably be good when, you know, the build breaks the night before a milestone or something and so let's well, let's try and you know let's recommend him for this other position and so that's a key part is just like being personable and reasonable <laughs> and patient and just be a good person and that really really helps you get along you know yeah don't be an asshole right like yep. <laughs> that that is one of the things that man I, that is a great example of how this industry works because you might lose a whole day to a bill being broken. You yep. might you might have some work that you've been working really hard on get corrupted by a teammate doing something that 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 messes with what you're doing, right? Like there there are scenarios in in game industry all the time that happen that can be frustrating, right? But you need to be the person that is calm, collected. You're at the very least, you're thoughtful about the situation and understanding that the truth is most developers are not trying to do a bad job, right? Like, like right. The, it, anything that comes up that was a bit of an issue is because 
something happened that was a mistake or out of their control or that kind of thing. And we work so closely together that knowing that someone can handle those ups and downs, those ebbs and flows is really important. And I wonder sometimes, should we throw that stuff into the interview process just to kind of see like, how do they handle adversity? Right. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to work on if you're not already in a position to be good at it. And it's kind of easy to see people that aren't like that when you're, uh, when you're working with them specifically is like, it, it, it's easy to tell immediately that this is the kind of person who's going to fall apart or get emotional in these kind of situations. And that's just not fun for anybody. So yeah. the fact that like, if you can show that you're not that as fast as possible and like really hammer it in, like it, it helps. And I think, I think that's a big part of what helped with me. And that was kind of a lucky thing that happened to me, but it, it, like luck built on opportunity and preparedness and all of that. So it, it, it worked out, man. There's like a thousand other questions I could ask you about this, but I don't want to <laughs> hold us here. I want to know like what, so how, how did the rest, like, how did you actually end up at Treyarch? So, so this was a, you know, they were impressed with kind of how you went through the interview process. Was that the kind of the key to you getting in there? Well, so they had, so they'd reached out to me and said, Hey, we've got this other position open. Would you apply to that and interview with the, the people on that team? Cause I'd originally applied for a gameplay position and this was on the tools team. Okay. So it's different hiring manager and stuff. And will, will you apply to them and have some interviews with them and go through it? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. And so I did, I think one more interview with the, um, the hiring manager and then one of the uh one of the other people on the team it's a small it was a small team at the time it was only three people um oh. and i was like sure i'll do it i did an interview with them and they rejected me <laughs> nah Wait, i'm just that, kidding that, i was gonna say this is rejection number two <laughs> like, like how many episodes do we need to talk about how like <laughs> No, no, that, they, they accepted me. Uh, they, they hired me, sent me an offer. Uh, I tried to negotiate. It did not happen. I, they basically Ooh. said no to all of my negotiations. Um, but then yeah. I made my way out to L.A. and started as an associate tools programmer. Hold on. I love that. Let, let, let's talk about that a little bit because a lot I, I get asked often, and I hate when people say that, but I get asked often, how do I handle negotiating an offer? And, and like, the truth is that the company is probably offering you something that they feel, or they, they almost certainly are offering you something that's like that fits with your skill set, your experience, what they need, what their budget is. Here, here's what we can offer you. Sometimes there's a little bit of wiggle room and it sounds like you tried to, to get into that area, but what, like, like what happened? Like, how, how did you kind of approach that? Yeah, so the hard part was that I had set up, um, I had, my girlfriend and I, we were living in Florida, and we had planned for her um, spring break of that year, because she's still in college at this point, because we're, we're about the same age. We knew each other in high school and in middle school. And so we were, we were the same year and I've graduated early because I went to full sale. And so she's still in school and she is living in Colorado and I'm living in Florida at this point. And so we were trying, we were thinking we we're going to have her come out for spring break. And, um, 
we had planned for her to come out to Florida and do a Disney trip then. Um, and then also the project that I was on at Proactive was supposed to finish right, uh, it's supposed to finish its next big milestone right around that March point. Um, and so I was trying to kind of do the nice thing and say, hey, I know I can start, I know you guys want me to start at the end of January, but I would ideally like to start kind of towards the end of March, if that's okay. Uh, also, you gave me 55000 as the uh, the hourly, what the hourly comes out to for this job. And I know people here need, you know, need to make more than that. I know like the average for what people make an associate position is somewhere around 65000 And here's what rent looks like. Uh, and if I have 55000 I can't make three times rent so I can get approved to be uh, to apply for rent, to rent at this place because that's a thing that you need to do. Um, and also, I have to, I just started this job, so I have to leave my job. I have to break my lease that I just got, you know, like a week ago because um, I was, was crashing at my friend's place and I'd only just found an apartment. So <laughs> that happened to me could once you too. like give me some relocation money? And they basically said no to all of that. <laughs> wow. Okay. So man the all right the things that you did are the kind of things i would recommend give justification <laughs> show why why this all matters and they're like nah what but but at the same time you're like i can go work on one of the biggest franchises in the world yeah right and and they know they know yep. that, that you're gonna think that right yeah well, I even said, like, I don't think it's possible for me to have the money to start at this date. I need to start at a later, ideally March. And they're like, oh, if you can't start, then fine. We'll just not go with you. Thanks. Move on. We're going to find someone else. Uh... <laughs> and then I, I basically like freaked out. I, I, I told my girlfriend, I, call, I called them immediately. Never got I didn't get anything back, but I left a message saying, hey, I may, maybe the way I said it was weird. I like I can start at the time you want me to start. I just like I need I need to I just thought that I could it would be better if I could start later. Uh, I can start if you if you'll still give me the job. I can start, and thankfully they were like, <laughs> "Okay, you can start." Oh man, that uh, you you were literally living everyone's nightmare, right? Like yeah. like every new in like new into the industry nightmare, because that that is a gamble, right? Like it getting really was getting your first job is is super hard on its own but also getting your first job at a, at a company that makes one of the biggest games in the world to work on one of the biggest games in the world they know they know that that if you don't take this job someone else will right so yeah. you you have to be really careful i'm glad that you <laughs> went in with them and you're like hey here's what i would like in the end if they say no that's okay right because you still have that offer and your decision making is is this offer enough for me to do what I need to do? And I always tell people when you're getting into the industry, you need to really be flexible, right? Like, yeah. like, yes. like getting that first job is so important because once you have true industry experience, it's much easier to get that next one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's way easier because people see that you can do it and you can work with a team and that you've you've worked on games and you're not just some Joe Schmo off the street who thinks that it might be cool to work in games and has never actually done anything with it before. So 
Yep. And you have to be flexible. And obviously, like, negotiations is something everyone, like, I see online all the time people saying, like, you should negotiate, always negotiate. That's how you get more. And I think that might, from my experience at least, might be more reasonable for people who have kind of already been in the industry a little bit and have easier. a little bit of room. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely gets easier later. And, and that, that's a case where, like, like, you were in a position where the company had other options. They felt like you were the best option, right? And yep. they would prefer to have you, but should you say that's not good enough for you, they'd probably be okay moving to the next candidate. Yeah. Now, now, whenever you're in a position where you're like, "Hey, I've shipped two Call of Duty games," um, I'm I'm now, you know, like your your desirability raises. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I I I found that out once once I left Treyarch too. And yeah. I found out that it's much easier to negotiate at that point. All right, so we've only got like 15 minutes left, so we're almost certainly going to have to have you come back on to talk more details about like your pro like like how the next few years or whatever have gone. But, uh, so, so tell me about you, you know, you, you accept this position. You're in Colorado. You're having to move to LA. First of all, what part of LA did you choose? I'm really curious about that. Right. So actually I was in Florida at this point. Oh, you're, oh that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're in Florida. Yeah. 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 I was in Florida. I had just leased an apartment. Um, it was like my first month there. And it was, I was in my second month there when I basically had to say, hey, uh, I'm breaking my lease and I needed I need to have money for that. I had originally gotten relocation money from Proactive to move from Colorado, Florida. But because I had left within, I think, like six months or something like that, I had to pay all of that money back. Um, though my friend who referred me, he got to keep his because I think uh, the referral bonus stayed for three months. If I stayed there for three months and I was there for three months. Uh, so he got that. I didn't get my, I didn't get to keep the relocation money. So I had to get that back. And then I had to find an apartment in LA across the country. And some people might fly out there, but I just like, didn't have that money at this point either. Um, so instead, like I looked for whatever the cheapest thing I could find that was as close to, uh, the Santa Monica office that Treyarch has. And I found, I found a it's a four bedroom apartment. It's like a it's like a three bedroom four? apartment, but they split the living room to have a fourth bedroom. <laughs> so they can tenant more people there and split the money better. Uh. Uh, and it still ended up being oh gosh, what was that? 19? I think it was 19 a month, 1900 a month for for my one room in the four bedroom apartment in uh, almost downtown Santa Monica. But that was like the best thing I could find. <laughs> it was like the only thing I could find. All right. So wait. So did you find there was already three people in there and you became the fourth? Yeah. So it was. Okay. it's like this company that um, they handle like. Thing, they're, they're, I think they're called Bungalow and like they they handle like all the roommate stuff and like just have you meet and they're always they're the ones getting people in and out of these places versus I don't think they actually own that apartment place. They're right, just kind right. of like the ones who are renting it and you rent through them. Oh, man. Let me tell you the mistake I made when I moved to L.A. Oh, no. <laughs> so I also had a job in Santa Monica. I did the same thing. I didn't go there. I was just like, let me find a place cheapest I can find. For me, it was Sherman Oaks, all right, which which is a fine place, right? It, yep. it was fine. What I did not know <laughs> is that that twelve miles to Santa Monica every day took the Sepulveda Pass. 
which yep. took over two hours. Yeah. Every <laughs> day. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it destroyed my soul. It was yep. the worst. I believe it. Oh, that's the worst part about L.A. That how many people are there? It just compounds into so many different issues. And one of the worst being traffic. You look at that 12 miles and you're like, oh, yeah, I've, I've lived in Colorado. I do 12 miles in 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, half hour at the worst. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> not in L.A. <laughs> I learned a very valuable life lesson that day. I even tried like going through through Malibu Canyon and down the coast and like it still ended up being about the same difference and then I just drove longer. I should have rode a yep. bike is what I really should have done. I should have ridden a bike and just gotten there in like an hour instead of it being more than double that time. Right. Or like I have I knew someone at Treyarch that he would get up at like five and leave at like five thirty, and then leave work at like nine thirty at night to miss yeah. as much of the rush hour as possible, uh, so that he so that he'd do that and he'd still get like maybe an hour of driving e each way. <laughs> it's it's awful. Like like yeah. it's absolutely awful. And like if I ever move to LA again, I will certainly feel like I won't do it unless I can live within a walking distance to work like that, that yeah. that's my new philosophy because it was an absolute nightmare and it and it was every day every day yep. yeah it's easily my least favorite part about la is traffic and then just so many people everywhere you go you can't yeah. get away from just tons and tons of people no Loads matter where you are uh, unless you're like way on the outskirts and then at that point you're not even in la and right. there's nothing out there anyway so right. man it's yeah. uh it's definitely i i always i now recommend if you're going to move to la go there first actually see what it's like try and make that drive during work hours because i was not prepared like, like yeah. not even remotely prepared for what I had just signed up for for the next year. Right. If you can pay more money to live closer to the office, like it's worth it. Yeah. You, two out, two hours, hour, an extra 45 minutes every single day, both ways. Both ways. That's yeah. a lot of time. That's a lot of money there that you're losing that you could be doing something else. Yeah. And of course, remote work now is a completely different situation that changes exactly how all of this is. But at Absolutely. some point, maybe if we go back. Yeah, well, yeah, that that's a whole other discussion. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. see that being a thing, right? Like, like we have we have learned that we can do game development remotely and keep at least eighty five percent of our you know uh, efficiency. So. I do not see this being a thing where like everybody's got to be back in an office, move where you, where we are, how that all shakes out is going to be very interesting to see over the next year or two. Like, what are we going to do with all that retail space, right? Or with all the, 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 the places that, that are set to house hundreds of developers. Right. Right. I don't know yet. I don't know the answer to that. 
there's definitely like still some like people that have to go into offices somewhere and do some things. I, I like I know even throughout the pandemic, like mocap is a lot harder to right. do remote and like getting into an actual studio is better. But like you can it doesn't have to be a studio that you most places don't have that in house anyways. They like go to a mocap studio off site or something. So uh, you can still end up doing that. But those people might not be able to be remote from anywhere in the U.S. You know, they have to be somewhere in in the city at least where they can go into the studio yeah the mocap studio so we've we've done something tonight that that i did not think we would do we we have gotten to almost our end point and we have not even talked about your professional (laughs) career yet right (laughs) like we've talked about you getting the job you've moved to the location we're definitely going to have you come back on because we've got we've got a lot to cover you ship two titles at treyarch you're at a whole new place working with some some longtime friends of mine, which I can't wait to talk about. Right, but that's going right. to take at least a couple hours. So, <laughs> so judging how things have gone so far, yeah. Well, maybe even a third one, but <laughs> but but I guess let's uh, let's not push into that. Let's instead let's talk about is there anything that that you want to make sure that people understand about getting into the industry and like that we didn't cover now or any, anything that's on your mind that, w- that we didn't get to yet in that phase of your kind of industry and getting into it? Yeah, I think, I think the first thing I want to say is like having a support group is really, really helpful. You can make friends in Full Sail and like keep them around and talk to them and just all be going through the job application process it can be really helpful it can be kind of hard if like there's one person who's getting the job and the offer and you're not that person but if you guys just can be supportive of each other and continue doing that and maybe it's not full sale people maybe it's people you meet at a networking event or something the more you can do that the better because you'll find more opportunities probably once someone gets something but then also just being able to have someone to talk to about these things and go through the same stuff that you're going through and having that like uh solidarity really helps for a lot of the hard stuff of the game development side and that continues as you get into the industry and go beyond uh the the other thing i think is just persistence it it takes it i know you you said earlier six months is like a very common thing i've heard that from another mentor is that six months even when you're in the industry that sometimes it can take months to get a job and find the right place and all of that and so the persistence is probably probably the most important thing to have because most people eventually will get something and then you can build on that and go to somewhere else and you don't have to stay at a place forever or for years or something you don't owe anything to that company if it's not the place that you want to be and you can go find something somewhere else like maybe stick around do you know a good three six months learn you can learn plenty there that will help you go beyond but like you don't have to feel loyalty to the company because most probably all companies don't really have a loyalty to you as an employee so just like keep that in mind Man, that's a uh, oh, that that's a that's a tough lesson. Um, we we are taught, you know, coming through school and from our parents that working at a place, working hard, being loyal—that's the things that's going to get you far in in life. This industry, it, 
we life in general is probably not that way in general, but I can say for certain this industry is not that way, right? We, you, you may be in the perfect situation. The company loves you. You love them. Things are great. Suddenly they lose funding on a project and they have to let people go. Right. There's, there's lots of things in this industry that happen that affect your position in the industry and it is completely out of your control. Right. So you have to be in a position where you are doing what's best for you. And, and sometimes that means moving to another company because that other company is going to give you the position that you want at the salary that you want. And that's how you move up. Every time that I've changed companies, I've made more money every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And it just gives you growth opportunities. Like they're going to do things differently and have different opinions about what's good in games and why and it's going to be reasonable and being able to learn more about that um just helps you helps you in the long run in your career yeah man it it's uh it's such an it's such an interesting thing because this this industry is very different than so many it's not so different than a lot of other entertainment industries but it's different than what most people know and you know, as we grew up, our parents had no insight into this kind of thing, generally, right? Like they, they, they knew about traditional things. So my family couldn't prepare me for this scenario where it's like, hey, you need to, to constantly be evaluating. Are you, are, you being, uh, are you being paid what you're worth? Are you being respected and, and valued enough? Like that's something that, especially in this day and age, you have to constantly be thinking about. And that that could change from from month to month year to year yeah absolutely the respect is just probably the most important thing and as soon as you don't have that like that's when i think it's it's time to go well, you know time to find something that that at least will for a time a, a period of time as much as it can be yeah i think that, i think the second that you're told that a promotion is not in your career path or something that you want to do is not a trajectory for you. That's when you need to start looking because someone will value that and someone will put you in that position and and be happy that you're there. And that's where you should be. Right. Absolutely. Which is, I also don't want to say that you shouldn't be loyal in, in this industry, right? Because there's, there's a lot of opportunities to be loyal, but like you said, it's, it's a business. And and the things that people that are above you that are making company wide decisions are faced with, I I don't want to be faced. I am not a per. I don't want to. I don't want that. Right? Like I don't want to be a person who's thinking about how we're going to make payroll this month. All of those things. I understand how difficult those decisions are, but that just means that us as people that are trying to to improve ourselves and our stature and do better in our careers, it might mean that we need to think about ourselves at times and you need to be ready to, to make a move if that's the right thing for you to do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find it's, it's, it's almost more be loyal to the people, not the company, but even then like be loyal to yourself first yeah. and foremost, you know what you want, you know where you want to be. And if you don't be loyal to yourself in the way that figure it out and find out what that is and then put yourself on that path. Don't worry too much about, how other people, most people will understand in the industry. And if they don't, then that's, that's on them, not on you. That, that is a great point. I think 
I think the people that, that matter, the people you work with, the people that are going to recommend you later, the people you're going to recommend later, and they're probably going to be like, man, I wish you weren't leaving. I need your help on this thing, whatever. But at the same time, they know that move is right for you and it might be right for them, you know, coming down the road as well. And that's, right. those are the relationships that matter because when you go to that new company, you may find that person that was, that was pissed that you were leaving because, you know, because you left, you might have a position for them now, right? Like now they can come work with you again, move up and be in something that's, that's a little better for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's this giant puzzle that continues to change all the time. And the pieces can, you know, there's lots of pieces, but the piece, the right piece, it, it might not be the right time, but eventually it could be. There's just, there's just so much to always be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. But I think ultimately it's about that the day to day is what's so important. Like what am I like? We talk often about the game that I shipped. And I know I said this before the thing that I'm working on, whatever, but if you need to be happy and feel like I came in today I, I, I did my best and I came out feeling like not only do I feel like I did my best, but the company feels like that I did my best as well. That's, that's, that's what you're looking for. Cause that day to day, uh, you know, encouragement and feeling valuable is what makes you as a person feel like you're in the right place. Right. Right. And that's what prevents, you know, other forms of burnout. Like burnout's yeah. not just you work a lot. It's like not feeling valued, not feeling like you're contributing to a project, not feeling like you're making a difference and all of those types of things. Like if you're not having that in the day to day, then you're going to burn out eventually. And, and I've experienced that stuff and it's, it's hard. And that's, that's harder burnout to recover from because you can't fix that just by taking a week off or a vacation. Right. Like that's a completely different situation. And it is, it is tough to figure out. So the, the more you can respect yourself and do the best thing for you, the better. Yeah, it's we as I grew up, I was taught it's not about you, it's about the whole. It's about doing the right thing for everyone or whatever. And 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 that is true. I, I'm someone who cares about what what is best for everyone, but you have to be selfish a little bit. You have to make sure that the especially in an age where, you know, mental health is important and making sure that that I can give my best, I've got to make sure that I'm I'm setting myself up for success. And sometimes that means making choices that I don't want to make necessarily because it's what's right for me, but maybe not right for everyone that I'm, that I'm working around. Those kind of things can be tough. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it you know, it's, it's nuanced, right? Like there, there are some cases where maybe you should stick it out just a little bit longer to, to finish this project. And, and maybe you shouldn't, maybe like this is just a really bad position, but you, the way I think about it is that I can't, if I'm not doing my best work because I'm in a position where I don't feel motivated and I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, then I'm almost hurting the company more for that, where I, I they're not getting the best out of me and they probably could if I wasn't here. They could get it out of someone else who, who does want to be here and put in and do all of that stuff. So it's probably better for both of us in the long run if I make this decision now for me. Yeah, man, this, this has been a fantastic conversation and we we've, we've, we've hit time. We're definitely going to do this again. You and I will connect after this to talk about yeah, when, when that absolutely. next opportunity is, but thank you. I, I really appreciate this. Um, 
I look Thank forward you, to Jameson. that next conversation. Yeah, man, absolutely. You're welcome here anytime. Uh, but I'm going to jump off, say my goodbyes. Thank you. And, uh, we'll connect and figure out our next time. And, uh, yeah, we'll make sure that happens in the very near future. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for everyone who's, who happened to tune in. Appreciate awesome, it, man. Have a nice night. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Later, buddy. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can join us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. Every Tuesday, I'll have a new podcast episode ready for you. Be sure to follow me on all of my social media using the links in the show notes and join the Dev Team Discord to be a part of the conversation anytime. We'll see you soon.